It's just flashed up. A goal for McCalment. Oldham a 2-0 up. Marvellous. And that thus we can talk in this second half of my chat with uh, Steve Shipman. Are you there? I am. And Andy Halliwell. Are you there? I am here. Andy Halliwell, your first game was 1986 and you were mascot in 1991. I found that out because you've submitted a video to push the boundary .co.uk. Does that mean that you were at those semi-finals uh, in 1990 and 19, 1991 and 94? 1990 and 94, yeah. I yeah. was at both, both original and replay, all four fixture, four games, yes. Wow, what was it like losing? In, in Well, we lost in both. The, the one in 1990 was sickening. In 1990, both went to extra time. Um, and we lost in extra time in 1990. But in normal time, we had scored what seemed to be a legitimate goal where the ball had bounced behind the line, obviously a long time before VAR, uh, and it wasn't given, and United went on to win in extra time. So that, that was sickening. But there was something about that one which, um, because we had competed with a larger club and we were on the up, people got over it relatively quick. But 94 was very different because... It was the beginning of the end of that of that era, and I think most of us knew that it was going to going to cause us some serious strife, and it did. And, I, and I've said before, without wanting to um, belittle what is obviously a very serious condition, uh, that's about as close to post traumatic stress disorder as I've ever come. Mm-hmm. Is is that Mark Hughes goal in '94? Uh, it was yeah. it was horrendous, and and then to have to then travel from Wembley back to the northwest, you know, mm-hmm. a good sort of four five hours on a coach traversing the same road network as your opposing fans because you go into exactly the same location. It's pretty horrendous. God. Uh, I watched back the highlights of the first game in 94. I think Lee Sharp pushed the guy over and and the guy it, didn't get a penalty. I don't recall that in 94. Uh, all, all I recall is, um, is, is our striker in those days, Graham Sharp, who should be yeah. familiar with a Watford fan because he yeah. scored against you in the cup final that you appeared in. Yeah, he scored the um, good goal. Yes, the good goal. Yeah. <laughs> Did Andy Gray score the other? We don't mention him on this podcast, but yes. <laughs> um, Banned from yeah, the library. I don't recall Lee Sharp pushing anyone. I recall Graham Sharp missing a horrendous open goal, pretty much, to, which would have put us 2 0 up. Yeah, that is right. And it's all on YouTube for all to see. This is 1994. Manu then went on to beat Chelsea 4 nothing. Although Oldham were in Europe in 1995. Yep. This the is the Anglo Italian Cup. The last yeah. ever season of the Anglo Italian Cup. Why and did you enjoy it? I didn't go to any of the games because I'd just, at 95, I'd just gone to university and I didn't have the money. Oh, which university? I went to Lancaster University, a bit, a bit further north than Manchester, but I didn't have the money, so I didn't get to travel to places like, I think we played, I hear it has a memory, we played, did we play Genoa? Is that one of them? We played Genoa. I think did we lose 4-0? Yeah, and then we drew 0-0 somewhere else away. It, it, I guess it was. I, I know some people who, who did go, uh, and they said they had a great time. Although some of the games, I think, were played in the depths of winter, so it wasn't like you were going on a nice Italian holiday. No. Uh, <laughs> well, you're lucky. Watford haven't been in Europe for forty years now, and that's what that's what people wanted. Because I, I went to the semi-final Watford Wolves, and I turned round to the chap sitting behind me who was a Wolves fan and said, "Can we swap seventh place in the league, and you can win this game and play Man City and get thumped six 0 
uh, and the exact <laughs> opposite happened. Uh, and then Watford sacked the manager. Now, why did Joe Royal stay with Oldham until the November of 94? Why didn't he go immediately to Everton when Oldham had been relegated? Well, Everton hadn't sacked their manager until until around that time. I think Everton's manager was Mike Walker. Mike Walker, who almost got them relegated. Yeah, and, and, and they'd, stayed up by, they'd stayed up by the skin of their teeth the season before. In a, in a game which, which now, I think, through the hours of time, they were 2 0 down at half time, Everton, on the final game. Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Duncan Wimbledon, Ferguson. Yeah. Duncan Ferguson, yeah. He was at Duncan Ferguson. I, I can't remember who scored the Everton goals, but I know, I know that Wimbledon were 2 0 up at half time and, and contrived to lose 3 2 in a time when that Wimbledon team was littered with players that subsequently were embroiled in, I don't know if it was ever proven, but they were certainly embroiled in um, match fixing scandals, oh, like Hans yeah. Hagen's, as an example. But anyway, I digress. So the, uh, Mike Walker didn't get fired until the November of the '94, and then uh, and then we were then we were in big trouble. Yes, <laughs> that was, I think that was always the, also the days when when there was actually a loyalty in football as well, wasn't there? And, you know, we, yeah. Joe, Joe Rowe had probably been with us for what 13, 14 12, years, twelve, twelve, eighty-two, twelve years. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we'd, we'd actually had our previous manager that was a gentleman called Jimmy Frizzell, who'd, who'd managed us from. Uh, 1970 to 82. So we'd had uh, two managers over the course of 25 years. And then the subsequent last 25 years, I couldn't even tell you how many managers. Well, I will, I'll, ex- excluding caretakers, I'll do my best to take you through. I think that's the easiest way and just to make you more and more depressed. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, so, so we've talked about the 91 promotion, um, but this, this Joe Royal team, because he, not much like Graham Taylor, he, he became part of the tiles in the boardroom he'd been there uh, eight years by the time he'd got his best team sorted so I I wonder if some of the players from the Joe Royal era will make your best 11 so we'll talk it through as we go I will suggest Paul Gerrard who played in goal in the semi-final in 94 plays in goal are there any advances on Paul Gerrard well, you see, I, I I did like Paul Gerrard. He was a good goalkeeper, um, but I, I, he was never my favourite. Uh, I'd have picked John Holworth in front of Paul Gerrard, but actually, because of my age, I'm old enough to have seen Andy Gorham play for Oldham, and Both he was of definitely them. the best keeper I saw. Sorry, no, that's in no way is that funny. Obviously, but the times have changed. But it was funny then. Um, Gorham, it's Scotland's number one. He must have been good. He was he was he was very good in in uh, in eighty six is when I first saw Gorham. He was a cut above most goalkeepers. I uh, like, caught everything. Where you see keepers flapping and punching crosses and and staying on the line, he came off his line and caught everything that came anywhere near him. He was he was a joy to watch. He was quite short. That was his only uh, his only challenge. But uh, quiz question for you: He was one of the first goalkeepers in the UK to go for a million pounds. Three, the th- one of the first three. When he went from Hibs to Rangers, and we sold him to Hibs, he, he, he was quite a uh, he was quite a good goalkeeper wow. back in that time. That's brilliant. Well, better than the English goalkeepers. Even you had Southall. At uh, you must have seen Neville Southall play as well. Uh, saw Neville Southall at Bank yeah. Park a few times. Yeah, in, in yeah, yeah. a trilogy of FA Cup games in that era. Yeah, uh, it's like in black and white now these days. Do you think about that? That twenty five years, thirty years have gone, and now. It's Friday. Oh, God, um, how old is your yeah. kid? 
Okay, for me, my, my my children are young. I've got I've got a four year old and an eighteen month year old. Oh, oh very very young. I started late in life with children. And are you seriously considering that they don't support your football club for the moment? <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm. I, they've already been. Although not this season, but I've, they've already been uh, dressed in in Oldham Athletic regalia, and they know some of the songs. Uh, the eldest knows some of the songs, and I get him to sing with me. And I haven't taken him yet uh, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons because the last twelve months have been difficult. But I will take him at some point in the not too distant future. And hopefully, both my I've got two boys. Hopefully, they'll both support Oldham. But as I live in West London, it's going to be a difficult sell. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just take him to Orient or Barnet if they go up, or Boreham Wood. Well, Bre- Brentford is my Brentford, Brentford is actually my very local club, but I, I don't take them there because they're on an upper curve, and I don't want to lose them to Brentford. <laughs> I want to try to make them over. Yeah, by the time <laughs> this goes out, Brentford may well have secured uh, playoff places. Norwich will probably have gone up. Uh, God knows yeah. what happens to Watford. Watford's yeah. running is hilarious. We've got four championship games. It's like a proto playoff. I would recommend watching the end of the championship season. Although thirty years ago. Uh, celebrations are in order because Joe Royal's team uh, were promoted to the first division. Would you pick that back four or back five as the greatest defenders in uh, Oldham's history? Well, I, I mean, I don't know about... I think I'm a bit older than Steve. I, I, I wouldn't because Neil Poynton came after that once we were promoted and he was our, he was our left-back in the Premier League days. And I always thought Poynton yeah. was our best left back, so I wouldn't necessarily pick that that team that got that got us um, promoted. But it'd be very close, I and mean, it would be close. The, the other player that would make my back four would be Dennis Irwin, who obviously went on to great things at Manchester United. So he had left us by the time we won the what is now the championship. So I think only two of that four would make my best ever back four, and that and one of them, of course, is an ex Watford player, isn't he? Who's that? Richard. J- Richard Jobson. Richard Jobson, yeah. yes. Yes, I saw him playing in that semi-final game, and I, I do know the name, Richard Jobson. Uh, I'm a bit young, so I would not have seen him. But Oh, maybe I did. Was he at Watford in, like, 97? No, he was at Watford before Oldham. So Oldham signed him in yeah. the 90s. So he, he was at Watford in the late 80s. Oh, so he was a Harry Bassett player. Okay. Yeah, he ended up with played at Leeds, then he played at City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I first started going much like I'm a little bit younger than I'm. There. Jobson was my Jobson was my idol. To be honest, I just he was just he epitomised what a centre half should be. He was a, he was a, a Rolls Royce of the centre half. You know, he was good on the he was good on the ball. He, he he was just he was brave. He he was a leader. Yeah, he was just he was just a true professional. He was I, I, I love Richard Jobson. There are players like that in the lower divisions now. True pros. This is the second time in a week that I've come across the name Earl Barrett. He features very, very briefly in Ricky Hill's memoir that's just come out. Who was Earl Barrett like and why don't we celebrate him today unless you're from Oldham? And why would he be in Ricky Hill's, Ricky Hill's uh, great Luton player? I'm yeah, I, sure think, I think they rubbed shoulders. They both played for England, I think. Uh, my, 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 my recollection of Earl, Earl Barrett is still our record ever sale, 1.7 million. That's the maximum amount of money we've achieved for any sale to Aston Villa. Yeah. He was he was lightning fast, uh, played at fullback and centre half. I was lightning fast, so I would put him at centre half alongside Jobson in our greatest ever eleven. But the, the one the one thing that's always noticeable about Barrett was that the back pass rule didn't help him. Oh, yeah. When they got rid of the back pass rule, that. That, 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 that was something that he, he wasn't quite as comfortable on the ball as Richard Jobson. 
So he, he liked to pass it back to the keeper a lot to get out of trouble because he was quick. He could get to the ball and then pass it back to the keeper. When he couldn't, he found it harder to get out of trouble. That was, that was something I noticed about Earl Barrett. But I, I couldn't, to answer your question, I don't know who he was like. One Maybe the, Des Walker or someone like oh, that. Perhaps, yeah, because Des Walker also struggled after that. that one of the... That Michael Cox's great book, The Mixer, which is in the football library. And at this point, I do hand you both your laminated football library cards with a shushing <laughs> Brian Glanville on it. Michael Cox's, the first page is, it wasn't the Premier League that reinvented football. It was the abolition of the back pass rule. So did you find that football, and then the tackle from behind went as well, that football did change more because of the rules than because of the foreigners coming in? A combination of the two for me. Uh, the, the, the back pass rule definitely changed things. Um, for, I, I remember you, you talked about Neville Southall a moment ago. When we played, we played Everton in the days when you had unlimited replays in, in the FA Cup, where you, you never ended it in penalties. We went to in a fifth round FA Cup game. We had two replays, so three ties to get through the fifth round of the FA Cup. We're home away, back home again. In those games. Uh, Everton were Colin Harvey's Everton were awful at it except Southall would roll it out to Ian Snowden who later played for Oldham he'd pass it back to him then he'd roll it out to the left back who I can't recall he'd pass it back to him then he'd roll it out to Dave Watson he'd pass it back <laughs> he went on for he went on for hours just trying to time waste so I was I was very much for the abolition of the back pass rule because certain teams abused it and Everton were one of those teams I used to think but then he did show some players up to not be technically as good um, afterwards which, which was a problem for some teams for a while. And Paul Gerrard, you mentioned him, he couldn't take a back pass. If he couldn't pick it up, he was. He, we, we got beat 5 0 at Tottenham once in the Premier League, and we were 3 0 down after about 15 minutes, and two of them were because yeah. Paul Gerrard kicked the ball straight to Teddy Sheringham. Uh. <laughs> so oh. he, he didn't do some players any favours at all. Um, yeah, you just had to relearn the rules. It's like today, in the top tier, you cannot tackle. Oldham versus Exeter, where Exeter have just pulled a goal back with 20 minutes left, sparks. So bang goes the clean sheet bonus. You can tackle. <laughs> um, although... I don't I guess... think they can be relying on that money this season. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I wonder how. I wonder what the contracts are at that level. But they're, they're still very rich people. Um the, we'll, we'll miss out the right back just for now because I have a feeling that I know who you're going to say. But the midfield four, I noticed that Neil Adams, the very good coach who coached Nor- Norwich, uh, was in that 1990 team. Who would you have across the midfield? Do you want, do you want to have a go, Steve, at this? Go, Steve. Um, yeah, I mean, one of my favourites when I was... Again, when I first started watching it, because I used to sit, I used to sit in the old lookers stand, which is where the new stand is now. Um, and I used to sit in the upper tier, sort of level with the um, penalty spot, I guess, or maybe just towards the edge of the area. So my my memories really were of watching Rick Holden on that wing, and yeah, yeah. Again, just a, a joy to watch in that. All he really did was just he would, he would just find a yard drop the shoulder find a yard and whip a, whip a ball in and, and it was as simple as that he, he, he made it look you know it wasn't the quickest by any stretch of the imagination but he just did the simple things and he did them well and it was all about the delivery and, and he I think sounds that a, is something sounds a bit Go like on, Nigel sorry. Callahan. maybe he learned from Callahan. perhaps you know it's something that probably frustrates me more these days with some players just how they make 
crossing a ball into kicking a ball into a penalty area they make it look like the most difficult thing in the world um, but Rick Holden was um, you know combined with sort of strikers that would that would fight tooth and nail to get on the end of it he was um, yeah I think he'd be uh, he'd be in there for me why did Watford sell him did Bassett just not like him I don't think it was Bassett I, I've, I've read that Rick Holden's got an autobiography I can't remember who he says the the Watford manager was when he left Watford, but I don't think it was Bassett. I think Bassett had already gone to Sheffield United by then. Ah, so it could have been Rhoda um, or Harrison. Harrison. Steve he was Harrison. definitely Harrison. Okay. He was definitely Harrison, yeah. And yeah, uh, I, I, I'll tell you an anecdote from his autobiography, Rick Holden's autobiography. So when he first came to Oldham, um, our, his very first game was Blackburn away, and he lived in a place called Skipton, which is sort of uh, on the borders of, of Yorkshire, and a nice old um, town in Yorkshire. And Joe Royal said to him, do you want to? Do you want to just see us at Ewood Park? If you just drive yourself over the tops from Skipton to Ewood, we'll just see you there. And and he said, I couldn't believe that the manager was saying to me I could drive myself to the game because when I was at Watford, Harrison used to make me travel to Vicarage Road, get on the team coach to go to the game, and then you had to drive back from the team. Everyone had to travel on the team coach. And he, and he said the most ridiculous example of this was there was a player called Glyn Hodges. Glyn Hodges, played yeah. For, play for Watford. Watford were playing Crystal Palace away and Glyn Hodges, I think, had joined Watford from Crystal Palace. And yeah. So Glyn Hodges, Glyn Hodges lived near Selhurst Park and Harrison made it Glyn Hodges drive from Selhurst Park to Vicarage Road to get on the team coach to go back to Selhurst Park again. That, <laughs> so I, think, on, I think Watford on fans... On the for about two hours. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Watford fans who remember that era, I was far too young. Uh, I was barely cognizant of what Watford was, although Watford Football Club was the first thing I saw after I was born, because I was born in the hospital next to the ground. You must have been to Vicarage Road in your time, because we played in the same division as you in 1990. Oh, no, maybe we didn't. Yeah, we did. We did. We played, uh, we played each other a few times. Um, I, perversely, uh, I've been to about 75 of the 92 Good. football league grand UK, and Vicarage Road isn't one of them. <laughs> Oh. I never managed to yeah. make it there. Well, I, I live to see the day. You did, um, you'll have to go to Barrow and Harrogate in the future. Um, so exactly. we'll f- fill out the yeah. midfield. Who else is in it? Well, for, for me, I'd put... Uh, I'd put uh, you, so you, you talked about Neil Adams on the right. He could, he could get in. But actually, in the middle for me, you could talk about uh, Nick Henry, Mike Milligan, and another ex-Watford player, Neil Redfern. Neil Redfern scored the goal that won us the championship. And actually, I always thought he was a better player than Milligan and Henry, who who are the two that are most associated with that time. So I'd probably force Redfern and Henry into the middle. And actually, on the right-hand side, um, when I first started going in the mid-80s, a chap called Roger Palmer, who's our leading scorer, actually used to play out wide right instead of as an out-and-out striker. So I'd put Roger Palmer on the right personally. But actually, Neil Adams... Uh, probably would get in many many people's teams. Mm, I, wonder, I, I don't know about Steve. No, I was going to say, I wonder if Roger, Roger Palmer, who's, who, yes, you're quite right, 141 goals for the club. I wonder if he, he could be like your number 12, just off the bench. He, 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 he could be, or, or Adams could be number 12 off the bench. He could be interchangeable. But yeah, I, 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 either. I, I'm, I'm not really that fussed. You could pick either. Actually, in our latter years, we had John Sheridan play for us and managers more than once. And at right the tail end of his career, and he was probably one of the most gifted centre midfielders we had, and he, he could get in there easily as well. I would have thought, but any one of that combination probably. 
Yeah, and these are players who would yeah. have played under Royal and then Graham Sharp took over as player manager in 94? Yeah, but he, he, he barely played, I think. Uh-huh. I think he played. Would you put Sharp with Richie up front? No. Ah, OK, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Sharp was a terrible manager for us. It was a bad decision. Should have been given to Andy Ritchie when Royal left. Poor decision to give it to Sharp. Sharp missed the sitter at Wembley to put us 2-0 up against United in 94. So there's lots of sort of negative associations with Sharp. He was a very good yeah. footballer, mind. He's a good player. But, but actually, I remember I was, I was there when he scored four against um, Luton. We beat him 5-1. Yeah. He was, he was a good player, Graham Sharp, for sure. But because he was, he was an Evertonian first, an Oldham Athletic player second, actually, I, I would have... I would personally, I would have Andy Ritchie and Ian Marshall together up front because um, because those two were were more sort of uh, Oldham through and yeah. through at that time. And they both played in the League Cup final in 1990. Um, Marshall didn't; he was injured. Oh, um, okay. uh, Andy Ritchie played up front with Frank Bunn that day. Oh. Did Frank Bunn play for Watford? Ooh, don't know whether he did. I might check that. Definitely played for Luton. Frank Bunn holds the record. Uh, in the in the League Cup for scoring the most amount of goals in a single game, he scored six in one game uh, in 1989-90 in that cup run, and in a game that we won seven nil, and that still stands as a record today. No one has ever scored more than six goals in a game in a okay. League Cup tie. Well, no one will because they'll all be rested for that. You're quite right. He played with Ricky Hill at Luton. Yeah. I should have really read Ricky Hill's book more closely, uh, but yeah, via Hull came to Oldham yeah, and played Hull. for those. Three yeah. seasons under Joe Royal. Uh, I left out the right back because I thought you were going to say Gunnar Haller. Danny Sirwin for me. Mm. Now, Haller wore the number two. And can I just bring up the fact, you might not know this, but it was Gunnar Haller's goal, the fourth against Southampton. Again, very little known, especially in Oldham, that kept Oldham up. The Great Escape, 1993, on Motorhead Day, the 8th of May, and I love the pieces to camera by both Andy Ritchie and Joe Royal on pushtheboundary.co.uk, which, Steve, uh, we discussed in the first half. You are one of the four yep. lads. But before we talk about The Great Escape, what happened at the end of 1994 when you didn't win for eight games and went down? Was this like a hoodoo from the FA Cup semi-final? Yeah, it was a top, it was Definitely a, top a hangover. Yeah. 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 No, it's just awful. And then the reaction oh. when the club went down... PTSD, you said. Well, P- PTSD for me was coming out of that first FA Cup semi-final. So being okay. one nil up with, with 120th minute, and then it becoming one all against, you know, uh, uh, um, an Alex Ferguson Manchester United team, you were never going to win the replay. We got thumped in the replay four one. Yeah. And then and that and from being in effect 60 seconds away from an FA Cup final. Then we didn't win it. Then we didn't win for the rest of the season and got relegated. It just not. It just took the stuffing out of the whole club. Everybody was just just deflated from that from that single Mark Hughes goal, and so yeah, that that, that was it. No, you could <laughs> we see it, it, just looking at how looking at the results. There were I think four draws and four losses, or three and five, and that run is what led to. I mean, you weren't as bad as Swindon, who really did suck, but since then. Um, Oldham and Swindon have not got back into the top division. And it could have happened the year before, um, quite incredibly. Who were the two other teams, apart from Southampton, that you beat in order to survive in 93? Either of you can answer. Uh, Aston Villa and Liverpool. And which goalkeeper who dropped one of the goals 
has played for both Villa and Liverpool. David James. What? He's also played for Watford. And indeed, yeah, played yeah. For the, yes, thank you. I'm glad Watford are getting lots of airtime. But yeah, the, the second goal is against Liverpool, two goals from corners. And even the commentator yeah. says James flapped at it. Was it was it around this time that he became Calamity James? I think he may already have got the moniker around that time. Um, yeah. It, it, I, actually, personally, for me, I, I, David, David James, I remember being at Boundary Park when Watford came and David James was the goalkeeper as, as a young young yeah, boy. About 18. And he was in the days when we had in the days when we had a plastic pitch. Uh, one of the few clubs in the country that, that had them at the time. Um, and the plastic pitch was a bit of a leveller. You either you either did well on it or you didn't. And um, David James had a horrendous day. We beat you four one at Boundary mm. Park, and um, Richie scored a back heel and made a proper show of uh, of David James that day. And I remember thinking at the time that he wasn't that good. You know, I, didn't, I didn't think he was very good. And then he came with Liverpool a few years later and did what you just described: just flapped and pushed the ball in the net. And by that point, I was convinced he was rubbish. <laughs> and. What did you think when he went to England as first choice for the World Cup? I was astounded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was yeah he was mid thirties, and no wonder England didn't win. But um, yeah, David... I mean, well, I was going to say was that that was when uh, we got beat by France, wasn't it? Two one. Did he, we concede a penalty? Yes. Two oh, was he in goal when Zidane threw up and then scored? I think he was, that wasn't was it? Yeah, the first game. I think we were winning one nil, and we ended up losing two yeah. two one. Was that the Euros? Yeah, that was the, the Euros, Euros in two thousand and mm-hmm. again, dim yeah. and distant past in black and white. Um, I also okay, loved because yeah. I watched the footage from the Southampton game. Poynton direct from a corner. How often does yeah. that happen? Did he do that often? But he, he did it about three weeks before against uh, Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> he did it twice in that running where he scored straight from the corner, yeah. Uh, he, I don't know whether you've been to Boundary Park or Never. not before, but it's um, it's one of the... Uh, it has a nickname, which Joe Royal named it. It's called Ice Station Zebra, uh, which should give you an indication to uh, the temperature there most of the time. And it's very windy because it's in the foot of the Pennines. So often you could get a ball to... Uh, to, to bend easy from the corner towards the goal and he, he mastered it. <laughs> yeah. I like the line that, Andy, you use in your video that the hairs still stand up. I hope that your hairs have been a glow and a bristling as we've been talking about this great escape from 1993. That'll be a bedtime story. <laughs> and then, yeah. Gunnar Haller... What astounded me is that Gunnar Haller was completely open for the fourth goal. Who was it that said... Was it Andy Ritchie said that Southampton didn't try... They really weren't trying. It was hopeless. Well, um, uh, I think he did, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, in, in, was, it, was that in our video? I think he said that. Yeah, yeah. but he, uh, yeah, I think he was it. Richard, he won the ball and played it through to Haller, and he was there, just completely open. It was. Oh, like, Haller was Haller was that was versatile. I, I really liked Gunnar Haller. He was another one that, that sort of from when I was growing up, and he, he came came back to the club, didn't he? Because I think he had a, he had a stint with um, Leeds with Leeds, and he went to Bradford as well, didn't they? Yeah. I'm not sure which order it was, but um, but I know then he ended up coming coming back for a spell. Then Bradford, yeah. Mm-hmm. He quite liked the North, and then no, I'll hold off from that. An evening with Gary Lineker. I found out today. I was reading Kevin Day's wonderful book, "Who Are You," which is in the football library, and uh, he's still upset that Oldham survived and Crystal Palace didn't. <laughs> yeah. And he he relates he relates a conversation with John Smith, who is a, a researcher on comedy programs and uh, when Oldham was mentioned John just went 
plastic pitch ponces. So, <laughs> so well, of course, in that particular season, in ninety two, ninety three, the Grace Game, we didn't have a plastic pitch. Our plastic pitch was torn up at the end of ninety one as we entered the first division. It would they they'd been they uh, they'd been outlawed. Yeah. So we hadn't we hadn't had a plastic pitch for two seasons by then. So he's, but it was the reputation preceded you. How did you play well on a plastic pitch? Well, I know Luton had one as well and some clubs in Scotland. But what was the key to playing well? When watching, watching on the plastic, if, if you were a technically gifted footballer, if you were good on the ball, you had good, good, good close control. Uh, and pass, when teams that did well against us tended to be passing sides. So Swindon, uh, in that era, they had Ozziar Dealers and Lou Macari as manager. They also had passing teams. They all seemed to do well when they came to players at Boundary Park because they passed the ball. But if you if if came to kick it, uh, it, it wasn't a kick and rush game. It didn't necessarily suit your, suit your game because the ball would bounce and it would hold up a lot. And so you, you found you, you technically gifted. For Andy Ritchie was a superbly gifted footballer. Um, it was a superb close control, uh, and the plastic just worked for him because it was a nice, true surface, flat surface. You could, gu- you could guarantee the bounce. It wasn't like the mud. You know, you pitches today, like these bowling greens that we're playing in the Premier League, beautiful grass cut pitches. In those days, first division pitches were still mud baths come sort of November time. So a plastic pitch was a good thing in, in that era, I think. Yeah, I agree. And seeing the state of the pitch, um, maybe the Wembley pitch and also at Boundary Park in. It was in '93, I think. It was just mud all over the place. Um, sand, yeah, yeah. And yeah, indeed, yeah, it was, sand. Yeah. yeah. We are running so short on time that I can't uh, ask you about Neil Warnock, Wadsworth, Ian Dowie, John Sheridan, one Royal, two Penny Dickov, Lee Johnson, <laughs> Dean Holden, David Dunn, John Sheridan, three, or is that two? John Sheridan, two, twenty-two games. And by the way, David Dunn, three wins, twenty games. Did you? Did you ironically cheer those wins? I, I remember a, I remember a, a game where we under David Dunn. I think it was at Coventry, and I think we scored a last minute equaliser. And you've never seen a, a crowd <laughs> less enthusiastic about celebrating a last minute uh, equaliser. Oh, um, but yeah, it, it wasn't wasn't good times under uh, under David under Dunn. David Dunn. The, the, yeah, relations between the manager and the fans are not great. Yeah, but especially uh, when he calls us all cockroaches. Hmm. And thus, John Sheridan came in for a second time, uh, 22 games. Robinson, 33 games. Sheridan, 33 games. Richie Wellens, 40 games. Frankie Bunn, 30. I'm not doing this off the top of my head. Frankie Bunn, 30 games. Paul Scholes, 7. Who came after Scholes? Was that Bunn? Well, no, Bunn was before. You had Wild, who was caretakers. But after that, I guess it would be... Oh, yes, here we go. Benid, how many games? How many games? About, about 20... 11. There you go. Oh, wow. And then Dean Manria, 32 games. Harry Kewell, 41 games. Keith Curl, who at the moment is masterminding or has masterminded, five minutes left, Oldham could hang on to a famous victory in front of nobody. Um, so Keith Curl's in. Harry Kewell is out. Another job that Harry Kewell has failed in. Yeah. But we haven't mentioned really the key figure from the... The Joe Royal era, Ian Stott, who also worked at the FA and the EFL, does he feature um, heavily in the history of Oldham? Well, he, he he was he was our chairman when we when we got into when we during our sort of halcyon years of the late eighties, early nineties. He was he was he was our chairman during that time, and he, he was a he, how would you describe Ian Stott? He was a, he was a character for sure. He left 
this mortal coil only a year or so ago, I mm-hmm. think. Does he come out well in Joe Royal's memoir from 2005? He does. They, they, they were very close, I think. Uh, they had a very good... I mean, in those days, you know, all of the... I think the management team and the board of directors and everybody had a very close working relationship. Um, they, were all, they all got on very well. Which is usually, usually a footprint for success, isn't it? If everyone gets on. <laughs> yeah. As we said in the first half, get it right off the pitch, get it right on the pitch. You look at Burnley yeah. and Sheffield United until very, very recently. Are there any other books... Um, I have, of course, put in Chris England's An Evening with Gary Lineker. Uh, Chris England, I believe, an Oldham fan. Were you in London when the play was on stage? Uh, well, I'm sure I would have been, but, uh, but I definitely didn't pay it any attention, unfortunately. Oh. No. I, was, I was unaware that an Oldham fan had it. I was, I've just, as you, as that yeah, last, I, I, last I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. I learned it from Kevin Day's book, Who Are You?, which joins the script for An Evening with Gary Lineker. Uh, I think was Arthur Smith in it. Uh, Chris England, who is an Oldham author. Um, are there any books that I've missed out that have been written by Oldham players? Uh, Graham Sharp has an autobiography. Mm-hmm. Andy Gorham has uh, an autobiography. Uh, Rick Holden has a Rick Holden, Holden. Dead one. Uh, and uh, we have a former. Um, oh, Neil Redfern did one. Another excellent Watford player as well. And we have a, a former uh, physio called Ian Liversidge who also did an autobiography, all, all, on their, all on our history. I've read them all. Crikey. Well, you must send them on to the football library when you need space because the kids are taking them off yeah. the shelves. Um, because the football library, I'm trying to read all 92 clubs, uh, replacing the Dons with Melchester Rovers, of course. <laughs> um, and so I've now ticked off Oldham, uh, and I'm delighted to have done so because... Um, Oldham have almost held on. They're in the third minute of stoppage time for a famous win. And I fear that the Zoom call is going to terminate before the end. But um, I just, I want to, again, wish push the boundary while it's PTB underscore OAFC. If you want to say anything directly to the chairman and owner, uh, in three words, what would it be, both of you? Please sell up. Sell up, yeah. Uh, in, in sort of northern fashion, Times Timecock. Very good. I'll have that. Actually, Times Timecock should be on the wall of one of the football library walls. Um, because I, I'm sure Oldham, Oldham, the worst run club in Britain, and that is what Push the Boundary are trying to do. But yes, your football library cards uh, are on their way to you virtually for the moment. Uh, but Andy Halliwell and Steve Shipman, thank you very, very much indeed for your time. Um, you'll stay oh, up, will you? You will stay up, right? Yep, we will. We will. Yeah. And just waiting for the yellow ticker. It's now in the fifth minute of stoppage time. I'll see what lasts longest: the Zoom call or injury time. Oh, it's gone. Just like the library. Just like the library.